This will be the seventh episode of the Carolina Recycling Podcast, and I am still not a fan of the sound of my own voice. I edit these, and I just think it sounds weird, but I'm going to persist anyways. In previous episodes, we've had experts come on and discuss specific types of recyclables, things like aluminum cans, plastic and glass bottles, fiber packaging, but in this episode, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Mary McClellan is going to join, and Mary is the executive director of the Carolina Recycling Association. She's going to join and take a stab at debunking some of the myths that she's heard about recycling. So this was pretty fun. Mary, you wanted to join the show to talk about some <laughs> myths that you've seen that are prevalent in the recycling industry. So one thing that you mentioned was you've seen people saying that recycling is supposed to make money or pay for itself. Why do you think that's a myth? Hey, Matt, thanks for having me on our podcast. Yes, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, the reason a lot of curbside and drop-off recycling programs started was for the environment. The public was very concerned about landfills filling up due to some incidents that caught the nation's attention. And at the time that they all got started, tipping fees were comparable to where they are now, and they were higher than garbage fees. But the reason it all got started was the environment saving landfill space. And in my mind, one of the most important reasons of all conserving natural resources. And now of course, recycling has a role to play in combating climate change as well, uh, we now know. So fast forward to the 2000s and things really took off. Recyclables suddenly became really valuable and the material recovery facilities, the processors began sharing some of the earnings from the sale of those recycled commodities. And a lot of programs started up on the basis of, oh, this is awesome. We're going to make recycling so much more economical and save so much money. But let's be clear, recycling never paid for itself. Recycling costs the same to collect as garbage. And it costs about $100 per hour to run a garbage truck, whether it's picking up trash or recycling. So it's very expensive. It's one of the most expensive public services out there. And even at the height of commodity revenue, which in my previous job running a program was up to revenue of $50 a ton that my town earned for its commingled recycling, uh, it still could not cover those collection costs. When you look at the full cost analysis, it's almost impossible that that would be a moneymaker. So that market share was a huge perk and it was used to sell recycling programs to the public. But the reality is that the market fluctuates for recyclables just like any other commodity. Have you noticed your gas prices going up lately? Uh, oil is a commodity. Recycling is no different in terms of it being affected by market forces and global events. And so we enjoyed that for a long time, you know, earning a lot of money from recycling and got away from our environmental roots. Now we're in a different stage of the market again. We've kind of come back. To summarize, back in the day, recycling became prominent as an environmental environmental benefit, reducing how much we throw away in landfills and putting materials that we've already extracted from the earth back into our economy. And that's 
what we need. That's what I always want to remind people is that's really why we do this. But that's not to say that there is no economic benefit to recycling. Mm -hmm. There's almost 16,000 jobs in North Carolina in the private sector alone that is fueled by the recycling industry. Hundreds of millions of dollars of payroll that goes in to recycling companies. But the main reason to do it is to conserve our natural resources and to reduce energy uh, that we put into production. What I've heard you say is that we should treat recycling like any other utility. You know, you pay for you know, sewer, water, electricity, uh, waste, uh, garbage, and recycling is no different. It's another utility. And, yeah. you know, that leads to an, another myth, Matt, of, you know, maintaining recycling programs, even with a little bit of a higher tipping fee, mm -hmm. that it is going, that it breaks the bank. So that, that's one I've been hearing a lot of. And what I've seen is when I calculate the costs of uh, the increase in, in rates for disposal, the, when it's distributed amongst the households in the community, it's only 20, between 20 to $50 a year more mm -hmm. per household. And so when you talk about all of those benefits, conserving resources, energy, fueling a huge economic driver in the mm -hmm. Carolinas, we have a multi-billion dollar recycling industry in both states, ab above upwards of 15 billion, I would say. Mm -hmm. So to, to combine the two states. And so when you look at those benefits, suddenly $20 a year or $50 a year doesn't seem that bad. When you said it only costs about 20 to $50 more per household, there's also a huge willingness to pay. We've seen surveys put out by the Recycling Partnership I believe north of 70% of residents when they were surveyed said that they'd be willing to pay a little bit more for curbside recycling to keep it offered. I, I've seen the stories and I'm glad to see that happening. And we have definitely done as much as we can with CRA to try to encourage residents to speak up if their program is um, in danger and, and trying to advocate for that amongst local officials. And so for any part of the audience that might be in a, a community member that is worrying about this or that seeing things go on in their community that, that seem to put recycling in jeopardy or the program in jeopardy, you know, uh, we have help and resources for you. So we want you to reach out to CRA and to Matt uh, it is day job. Am I allowed to say? Yeah, uh, that's right. yeah. <laughs> uh, to to get that help because you know we we have seen that those decisions be reversed several times in in the Carolinas when when programs were put in jeopardy just by citizens being involved and saying they're willing to pay a little bit more. Have you seen any misconstrued statistics that have bugged you? That was the other thing I wanted to talk about, all of the, the negative press out there and what I call is really a lot of toxic messaging out there about uh, recycling not really working. You know, that, oh, no matter, I, I've seen this uh, statistic presented a lot about, you know, only 9% of our plastic gets recycled, no matter how much we put in the bin. You know, and that 
that that's really a toxic message and i wish that these uh outlets would stop doing that because i think while i don't think it's intentional you know i think the presentation of that statistic is really meant to illuminate our dependence on plastic in general mm -hmm. but you know we know there's all kinds of plastic yeah. that statistic is presented yeah. and you know it is referring to all oh, plastic not recyclable bottles and recyclable jugs right. uh, necessarily yeah certainly the i you know i can speak on, on the north carolina and carolina's economy that plastic bottles tubs jugs and jars when they're put in your recycling cart those packaging plastics are likely going to a recycler here in the Carolinas. Some, I think almost 80% of all of our residential recycling, including plastics, stays in the Southeast. And the, the plastics that are actually recyclable, you know, not the toothbrushes, for instance, that's made out of plastic, but that's not gonna get recycled anywhere. But the plastic packaging really does stay in the Carolinas as a recyclable. Another myth that we were both talking about recently was the idea of recycling is supposed to be the pathway to zero waste. And that's that that's kind of a pet peeve to hear from me. Also, when people say it's the silver bullet to all of our, our, our waste issues, it's the silver bullet to ocean plastics, it's the silver bullet to dependence on landfills. Mm -hmm. So that's something you mentioned also. Yeah. You know, I was trying to figure out an analogy for this silver bullet thing like what you know why does this bother me so much that you know people are kind of mad at recycling you know right now with because of you know the ocean plastic problem and the litter problem and then these terrible terrible problems that that really are huge problems you know but they don't necessarily have a lot to do with recycling they're more to do with you know our uh, waste containment systems and um, and and just general you know overuse of this material that seems to be very insidious called plastic. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to think of an analogy for it, and I I figured out it's like imagine we're on a boat, and you know me and you and some other folks are on a boat, and there's a hole in the boat and the boat is filling up with water and matt you're over there in the boat and you got you a bucket and you're just scooping trying to scoop out that water out of that boat so we don't sink but i'm over there like <laughs> hey matt why can't you scoop faster right you need to scoop more water out you're not doing a good enough job <laughs> and it's like i'm the only one helping it scooping, all yeah so <laughs> your recycling is helping the situation and it it is a big bad problem right ocean mm -hmm. plastic litter waste huge recycling is doing something about it maybe it's not enough maybe the boat's still gonna sink because matt can't <laughs> can't get that plastic <laughs> can't out scoop of the fast boat. enough right by the way in this metaphor the water is plastic oh okay yeah <laughs> I, I think i got that yeah and you're recycling and i'm some jerk Telling you too. <laughs> right. You're, you're um, troll over there. I'm, yeah. I'm troll. Yeah. yeah. So okay, that that's kind of why that bothers me is like let's not pick on and mention the one thing that we're doing. The one of a very few things I'll say that we're doing to actually help the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, let's make it better. 
let's recycle more. You know, we're only recycling like 30% of our plastic bottles right now in this country. Yeah. Um, we could be recycling way, way more. We could be recycling way more aluminum cans. You know, aluminum cans are amazing. They are infinitely recyclable. They're worth a ton of money for the material processors. So, you know, in my former job in a MRF, uh, we sent out about a truckload of aluminum a month. And this was, you know, almost 10 years ago. One truckload paid for like the baler wire for the for the whole month. You know, wow. it's thirty, forty thousand dollars when you get a, a semi truck yeah. full of cans. Yeah. It's huge. And they're uh they're savings of natural resources uh that that come about with recycling cans are probably the best one of the best if not mm -hmm. the best when you look at uh, our materials and so you know we're not even recycling barely half of our cans i think is the latest statistic wow. so you know we need to be doing this more not less you know Absolutely. and, and yeah. I, we need uh we need I need, you know, uh, these, a lot of these uh, statistics to stop being used because, you know, I think that as well-intentioned as they might be, they are damaging our, um, our recyclers, right. you know, and they're, they're, they're thinking about it and that, that's got to stop. While, you know, reduce and reuse are the first two pillars in the waste reduction model recycling still has an important role to play and i think that's kind of your point with the scooping it would be scooping and bailing water it would be great if we could fix the hole in the, in the boat fix the <laughs> leak reduce the amount of water or you know plastic or, or waste coming through but until until we can reduce it and, and seal that leak we we need to keep bailing so uh, I, I really like that metaphor yeah. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm glad it made sense because it was like 2 a.m. when I wrote that note. <laughs> so I hope it made sense. No, but good. you know, why can't we fix the hole, Matt? You know, what's going to fix the hole? That's a whole, whole another hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that kind of note of how material recovery facilities will receive all types of recycling of of non-recyclables, of things we call contamination, things that don't belong in the recycling bin, that, that's all a, an anchor on the system, kind of dragging it down, making it more inefficient when we recycle really clean material and the, the paper, the cardboard, the plastic bottles, the glass bottles, aluminum cans, steel cans, things that are pretty much universally recycled. That's what material recovery facilities want to see. What they don't want to see plastic film, plastic bags, things that are, are dangerous, batteries cause fire, things that don't belong in the recycling cart. So one thing, a major myth that I've heard since I've started in the industry is that recycling is too complicated. And I thought about this as a myth for the past couple of days. And I think that some people have a point. For a long time, recycling was too complicated. However, over the past two years, there has been a major push within the industry 
from the CRA, from North Carolina State Recycling Office, from South Carolina State Recycling Office to simplify the messaging, to make easy to understand, uncomplicated recycle right message. And that's what's really going on in, in all recycling programs across the states is this idea of recycling right and reducing contamination and, and being much more clear on signage and messaging. So is that something that the CRA has, has seen, has had to tackle, is, is dealing with complicated messaging and, and how is the CRA kind of responding with that? CRA has done a lot of work on contamination. We have actually injected over $120,000 into North and South Carolina recycling education materials thanks to a grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture and thanks to the vital support of North Carolina DEEKS and South Carolina DHEC in helping us uh, get our graphic design looking good and distributed to over um, over 80,000 households in the Carolinas uh, just this year. And we plan to continue to try to provide that support for communities to overcome the barriers that they face in getting educational anti-contamination information out to their residents. Yeah, thanks, Mary. And from what we found is that uniform, consistent messaging across the board is the best way to reduce confusion about recycling and therefore reduce contamination. And that type of work of, of making it affordable to get recycling messaging for residents is, is vital. I think one of the things that makes recycling complicated is the desire of people to recycle everything mm -hmm. they can. Yeah. And that leads to asking a lot of questions and, you know, at, Honestly, I think the more people know how it actually works at their facility, the better they will understand what uh, what we would call um, recyclability or acceptability in the programs. And so, you know, folks need to understand that these processing facilities that we use that enable us to mix all of our recycling together in one container AKA co-mingled, uh, AKA single stream. <laughs> you know, these processors, um, uh, most of these are uh, using machines. And so, you know, it is, it is actually not um, fairies that actually sort the recycling and put it in the, and they go and they pick out your fork out of there and they put it in the fork bin and then they fly over and they pick out the, um, the uh, plastic wrap and the, no, it's machines. Um, it's physics. It is actually not magic, although I do think recycling is somewhat magical. But it, it is. It's based on physics, and so you're working with a, a limited um, number of materials that can be mechanically separated. And until you know robotics becomes uh, mainstream, if it becomes mainstream in this industry. You know, we have to rely on people's hands and people's eyes and and some and a few really good machines that mm -hmm. can kind of sort out the bulk of these materials based on their shape. And it's based on the shape and the way that they react to forces that are put upon them in the sortation process and that mechanical sorting process. And there's some great videos online about this that we can uh, post, 
you know, uh, with this to kind of show how that works. But basically, it's cans, bottles, glass and plastic, and paper. Uh, and, and that's going to be it. Most things besides that, if we wanted to put them in the recycling and send them to the recycling processing facility, they would have to be pulled out by hand. Right. And you, you've got people on their sorting line. There's a conveyor belt going past them at 15 miles an hour. And they're wearing goggles, a face mask, really thick gloves, and trying to pull garbage out. And so it's uh, really challenging. If you think about that, you know, someone looking at a pile of material rolling by them at 15 miles an hour to look and be able to pick out a fork. That idea of people want to just put everything they can into the cart and hope that their material recovery facility will figure it out. It's, we call that wish cycling. Mm -hmm. um, I wish that this metal fork <laughs> could be recycled in my recycling cart. Yes. Unfortunately, it cannot. Um, it cannot. I wish it could too. I wish it could, it but it can't. So it's best to focus on the things that can, exactly. like cans go in the recycling cart. The one thing we always say, people really want all of their plastics to be recycled, like plastic bags from the grocery store. Those mm -hmm. actually tangle up material recovery facilities, equipment that get lodged in gears and, and on screen decks that have oh my to be gosh, so bad. cut out. Yeah, exactly. And if they, MRFs have to, material recovery facilities have to stop operations for up to an hour and cut those out by hand. So we always say, if you're going to have uh, grocery bags, you can use a reusable one, or if you have the plastic one, most grocery stores in the Carolinas have a take back program where you can bring those bags back and they'll recycle them separately outside of the curbside cart where it doesn't need to go to a MRF. And then that material usually gets turned into what we call plastic lumber or decking. It's actually pretty cool to be recycled, but just not in the curbside cart where you wish yeah. it to be with everything else. Please, yes, please, please take those bags to the drop-off site at the grocery store, or the Walmart or the Food Lion, all kinds of uh, grocery stores have that. Well, that's kind of all the, the myths that I had. Do you have anything else? One really great resource that we are providing that's new is our CRA Connect online community. And it's available to members and non-members. It was partially, um, it was actually funded by that same USDA grant that uh, helped fund the outreach materials for community and so communities in the Carolinas. And so anyone can get on CRA Connect and talk to their peers, talk to uh, different businesses, make connections, ask questions. That's what we see a lot of on there are just really interesting questions like um, about RFPs, about black soldier fly larvae, uh, if you're interested in that. And, uh, and lots of other good questions, you know, anything goes on CRA Connect. Well, black soldier fly larva is the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning. And usually the thing that keeps me up at night before I go to sleep. So it's good Definitely. to be able to find a place with all the answers for that. <laughs> I'm happy to help. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate you doing this. You're an awesome podcast host. Thanks for joining. It was obviously really great to talk to you and uh, address some of these pet peeves, these myths that we've been hearing for the past three years that kind of get under my skin. So thanks for joining. Absolutely. Thanks.
Really great to have Mary on the episode today. Big thank you to the CRA's diamond sponsors, Pratt and Sunoco. Also, a thank you to Tom Mahar for the music. And lastly, a big appreciation to the listeners for sticking with us this far. Thanks. I'm Matt James, and I'll see you on episode eight.